Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. If you had people surrounding you like that, you wouldn't want enemies. They are brutal, just absolutely brutal. Well, this is our second installment of How to Miss Christmas. And today we're going to find out you can miss Christmas by missing the meaning of Christmas. And um, this, this particular very old video, 1965, and uh, I was previewing it last night, and I was thinking, my land, I was four years old. So, <laughs> that's scary. Um, he begins... Uh, Charlie Brown just does not understand Christmas at all. Um, he always feels depressed, and, and at the end of everything, he's down and, and just doesn't know what to do because he's seeking. But he's seeking in all the wrong places. He goes to, to Lucy's five-cent psychiatric help station, and... Uh, he sits and he's, they're talking and it, it turns out he's afraid of everything. That's pretty pitiful. He doesn't understand Christmas. And her suggestion is, get involved. Get involved. And then I got to thinking this morning, is, is that the best solution? Do you, do you just get involved? Do you, do you keep yourself busy so you'll just go right through the, the holiday season and at the end you'll think, oh, well, I got all that done and I got involved and helped in here and there and everywhere, but you know what's going to happen? You're going to end up like Charlie Brown again, depressed, not understanding, and now a new year is upon you. He reads in his newspaper, find the true meaning of Christmas with Money, money, money! <laughs> that didn't work. His little sister says, I, I want to write my letter to Santa Claus. I'll dictate it and you write it. And so she's saying, send as many things as possible of what I'm asking for. So if I want a sweater, send me as many as you can. And then finally Jesus says, oh, let's just make it easy. Send money. Tens and twenties. <laughs> And Charlie's like, oh, for heaven's sakes. And she says, well, all I want is what's coming to me. All I want is my fair share. Now, you realize we live in a world that that's what they think. <laughs> I, just, just give me what I'm owed. Give me, give me what is due me. And, and give me my fair share, even if it's at your expense. Charlie finds at the Christmas play that he's been volunteered to, to, to uh, keep busy. Everyone has their own agenda. All kinds of chaos is going on. So that's not working. Lucy then tells him, well, don't you know? 
Christmas is a big commercial racket run by a big eastern syndicate. Maybe it is today. I don't know. The solution to the play problem comes down to this. We need a big, shiny, aluminum Christmas tree. Because the big, shiny, aluminum Christmas tree represents and expresses the modern Christmas spirit. That's scary, isn't it? My goodness. Charlie's desperate then finally at the end, after all the ridicule and the chaos and stuff, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Folks, we've got a country and a world full of people just like that. They're tired. They're down, they're depressed, they're sad, they, they're, they're wandering and they're seeking because all they see is all the glitz and all the... And they even see people joyful, but they, they can't seem to get in there and figure out why are you joyful, what are you having? Because a lot of them, they, they, if they could go with them, they'd say, well, it's all the glitter, it's all the, the stuff, it's the presents, it's the uh, festivities and all this kind of stuff, and they still feel empty. It's like, is there, isn't there something down deep there? What, what brought this about? What got this going? And so I want to ask you to begin with two questions to ponder on. Is it possible to get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of Christmas like Charlie Brown that we can miss Christmas by missing the meaning of Christmas. Last week we talked about the gift. Now we're talking about the meaning. And then the second is like the first. Can the meaning of Christmas get lost in all the secular and sacred activities of Christmas? Because let's, let's put that into our case in point. Christmas shopping can be an ordeal. Amen. Yeah? Or have you just not, or, or are you sitting at home doing all your shopping online? See, now that, that makes a difference. But if you really want to experience the hustle and bustle, it's, it's trying to go shopping, trying to get different items, and oh, heaven forbid if you're getting the most popular thing that year. Because you might get pushed down, trampled, run over, uh, elbowed, whatever. You think you're in a hockey match or something by the time you get through the store. But what about the Christmas, uh, I'm sorry, the Christmas school activities? Got to get on your calendar. If you've got more than one child, it's, it's who's, who's, and then if they're in different schools, okay, what, play practice? Concerts, parties, everybody, uh, um, even Sunday school Christmas parties, church Christmas parties, all this kind of stuff. It, people are moving everywhere, just everywhere, to get it all done. Your office Christmas party, your home Christmas party. And then let's bring the church into it. Christmas dinner, if there is one. Christmas play, if there is one. Christmas Eve service. 
flowers, Lottie Moon, food baskets, and you just keep mounting it up. What are we doing this Christmas? Well, here's the list. <laughs> and start checking it off. One might say it's longer than Santa's list. We can relate to the pandemonium of our society. But why did the people living at the time of the first Christmas miss its meaning and significance? What's going on at that particular time in the world? Let's ask the Lord to bless the message that he has provided, the scripture passage that he has provided for us that our hearts and our minds would be open and that our question is what is the meaning of Christmas Heavenly Father thank you so much for the opportunity to, to uh, sing the music this morning that leads us to this message which leads us to the scripture passage Father thank you so much for the opportunity to, to come and give the reason for this season. To, to be able to share the meaning behind Christmas. What is most important about this particular holiday that appears on our calendar? Father, give us understanding and wisdom and discernment. Father, help us to be filled by your word today so that we can purposely leave this place and go back to our homes, our offices, our, our different places that we go to and, and be filled with the meaning of Christmas, the true meaning, so that we might share it with those that are so desperately seeking for an answer. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Well, we'll be in Luke chapter 2 and go through verses 1 through 20 this morning. And we begin with the first three. Uh, very clearly, uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Well, that kind of answers a beginning question. What's going on at the time Jesus was born? Well, the entire world just got turned upside down. Caesar decides he wants to count everybody. And, of course, we know that God influenced him to do that and cause Mary and Joseph to, to leave Nazareth and go down to Bethlehem because that's where the Messiah was going to be born. Um, can you even imagine the chaos of, of being told you have to go to the place that you were born. Now, two-thirds of us are in that place. Debbie and I were born here. If we had to do something with that, we got to take Stefan out to Denver, Colorado. And uh, that's not necessarily a place to be in the wintertime unless you are a crazy avid, avid skier because it snows uh, quite a bit. Look at verses four and five so we've got all chaos breaking loose so joseph also went up from the town of nazareth in galilee to judea to bethlehem the town of david because he belonged to the house and line of david he went there to register with mary 
who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I've got a question for you. Do you think they had eight months of peace before this came? This decree came? How, how, how was life in the Joseph and Mary household? Well, I'm, I'm kind of sure it was tentative, not necessarily between them, but between them and the residents because Scripture tells us she was found to be with child before they got married. So you can imagine the looks and the whispers and the, oh my, he's really some guy that, to go ahead and take her. I wonder who the father is and all this kind of stuff. But eight months have gone by. Now, ladies, how would you like to travel on a donkey, a camel, or a mule in your ninth month for about 20 miles? Up and down the hills, through the cracks and crevices, and on dusty roads and things like that. I don't think it'd be fun. Not in the least. But that's how things had to go. Verses 6 and 7. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now guys, here's your part in this. You just had to transport your nine-month pregnant wife on dusty, bumpy, hilly roads in her ninth month, on a camel, on a donkey, on a mule, some type of transportation like that. And, and that's potentially, that's what we always kind of think and believe. My goodness, they could have had to walk. And you get to this town that is now just absolutely turned upside down because of the senses. You're trying to find a place to stay. Mary is beginning to tug on you saying, I think it's time... <laughs> You need to find a place. And he is worrying, he's praying, he's looking, he's watching, he's knocking on doors because he knows the baby's coming. We've got to have some place to be. Verses 8 through 10. We switch to a different scene. And there were shepherds out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 8. Basic routines. Sometimes basic routines trap us into missing things. We just are so used to, you could almost just be blindfolded. You, you, you turn your alarm off, you get up, and you go through your everyday routines to the point where you're grabbing cups and saucers and plates, and you, maybe you've got your microwave already with a program number, you push it, and it dings, and I mean, you're just, you're just doing everything, just, just like you do every single day. And you miss different things that are there available to see and to notice and to appreciate. These shepherds are bunking down for the night just like they always do. They've got all the sheep counted. They've got them where they need to be. The fire is going. Somebody's cooking and they're sitting down and maybe they're talking through the day. What's going on? Isn't this crazy? Everybody's traveling everywhere for the senses and, and this and that. And then something happens. 
verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear can cause us to miss things. We can be afraid to look. We can be afraid to do. We can be afraid to go. Because it might mean more work or more summer. I just don't have time. I'm too busy. Hustle and bustle. Very first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid. I, I've got something so important to tell you. It's so wonderful. It's so great. It's so life-changing. Um, I've got to have your attention. Do not be afraid. And this angel tells them just the absolute greatest news. I bring you good news of great joy and guess what it's for everybody you're including in fact you're the first ears that hear this you're the first ears that are hearing this and it's for everybody and, and you know God chose them to hear this first he didn't go to the high priest he didn't go to Herod he didn't go to the other religious leaders. He went to who he wanted to hear the good news first and invite them to come and see. Look at verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You know, in that one very small verse, is the simple meaning of Christmas. The very simple meaning of Christmas. On that night, at that time, came the one who can save. The Messiah. The Lord. He is Messiah, the Lord. The Master. Why do we need a Savior? A Savior comes to save. What do we need saved from? We need saved from our sins. Because a completely holy and righteous and perfect God who created everything and us and told us one thing, don't eat of this tree. And because our four parents decided they wanted something different, they chose to disobey, they sinned, and then brought the sin nature into this world. And we have needed a Savior from that moment to today and to the point where God says, enough, it's all done. And this angel comes and says, oh, I've got... I, and here's the way I, I explain it, or say it. The angel may know some of the things that are happening, 
But the angel does not understand that this is good news to us because the angel will not be saved by Jesus. Jesus doesn't die on the cross for the angels. He dies on the cross for us. So this is very specifically good news of great joy to human beings. And, and, and then the angel says, what this good news of great joy is, and is for all people, is your, your Savior has been born. The promised one. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one that Scripture has pointed at for all these years. Brother Lee showed us Wednesday night that that, that began all the way in Genesis chapter 3. We were told somebody's coming. And they're going to have power to do something. And it's been spoke about all the different generations Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Well, that's kind of unusual. So you kind of figure nobody else, there's going to be no mistaking because no other child that night is going to be in this position. Simple directions to locate and recognize him. You will Fine. God has told us throughout his word in no uncertain terms you seek me you will find me and what's wonderful is he shows us where to find him for the Christmas season you will find him in a manger you will find him at the cross you will find him not at a tomb but risen instead. You will find him seated next to the Father, interceding for us as believers. Starting at verse 13, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. See, God was giving a very gracious invitation. I'm telling you who's, who just came, that I sent him, and I want you to go find him and see him. Meet and greet him. Let him meet and greet you. And without even a thought. Because I would think the scripture would say, but there was an honorary one that didn't want to go. It gives you every impression that however many shepherds are there, they all say, let's go. So they trust God to take care of their flocks, to take care of everything, and they pick up and they go. And in some supernatural way, because of their willingness to go and to seek, God guides them to find this obscure place in the middle of some town, Bethlehem, that, that's just, just 
overflowing with senses, folks. That would be like him telling us, go, uh, go to New York City and go to this particular area and you will find this little manger sitting there. And be like, oh my land, New York City's got 20 million people in it. Where, where do I begin? Doesn't matter. He said go. And they went. They accepted the excitement of God's invitation. 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. We have no idea what part of the night this is. I would tend to believe it's dark. And that's why the, the, the blinding light of the angel was so shocking. I imagine the other angels were pretty bright themselves. The whole sky is just filled and, and, and they're, they're glory to God in the highest and just echoing in their ears. The excitement, the news. They go and they, they find him. Can you imagine them creeping up to this scene? Mary and Joseph is, is, is there and Mary, of course, is exhausted from, from birthing Jesus and, and he's in the manger. She's wrapped him and placed him and all of this and, and they just kind of are, are, are we settling now for a few moments take catching our breath and everything and then they hear something and, and, and around the corner all of a sudden they see figures shadows they come into the light of no doubt a campfire that Joseph has built Something comes upon Joseph and Mary saying, this is no threat. They feel some sort of excitement that somebody has come to greet. And there they are. What echoes in their minds is, your Savior has been born. He's wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And, and they all look. They all huddle around and they look and they gaze and they see the, fa the face of their Savior. He's a baby. I wonder how he's going to save. I wonder how he's going to help. I wonder if he's, he's going to be a, a great military leader or, or something. But a peace comes over them. Not that they understand completely at all, but something comes over them maybe saying, just watch him. Watch him as he grows. Listen to him when he, when he speaks and he teaches. Watch the power that he has. Watch him give his life for you and for the world. I think it's always exciting to me in this particular passage that, that they don't keep it to themselves. They are actually the first missionaries of the Christian gospel. When they had seen him, they spread the word. 
Folks, I've thought about that for years and years and years as, as, as they leave that place and they, they're coming down the roads and they're, 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 a light pops on. Hey, 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 guess what we just saw? Guess who we just saw? And they hear rustling about and they come over and they're like, hey, hey, guess what? The Savior's been born. And everybody's looking and scratching their heads and they're looking at them and their staves and everything and they're thinking, what are you doing? Why aren't you asleep? Why aren't you with your sheep? Well, the sheep are fine. I've got good news of great joy. Some angels came and talked to us and steered us this direction and we went and we saw a baby. We saw a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger and, and he was beautiful. He was just gorgeous and, and the Spirit of the Lord filled us and we're so excited that we cannot be silent. We cannot be silent as to what we have seen. The Savior of the world is here. Is here. Verse 19, But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. I, I think we see signs of that when he, he ends up staying in Jerusalem at 12. And she's like, why have you done this to, to us? And I, I think when his ministry begins, you see little funny things where, and I think this is all part of her pondering over the years is, I know what God said. I know what that angel said to me. And I'm watching these things happen and, and things like that and just wondering, always wondering how things are going to turn out. Verse 20 the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Folks, don't miss that. Which were just as they had been told. They were seekers. They were seekers. They had been given an invitation. We give people invitations all the time, don't we? Hey, the church is having a Christmas party. Hey, the church is having this. The church is doing that. We got a revival. We got this. We've got a singing group. All these kinds of things. We're always giving invitations. These seekers were given the most incredible invitation there was, and they took it, and what they found was God's proven faithful and true that's what that verse means we can trust God in this good news of great joy we can trust God in the meaning of Christmas that what he has said who he has given is faithful and true you actually will bank all of eternity on this belief. You bring everything you have to Jesus and say, I believe in you, I trust you with everything I have, and I believe that you are going to give me eternity with you and you bank on that if you want to use a sort of ugly word but I can't think of anything right now but that's what you do 
you entrust him. Oh, that's better. You entrust him with all. And he's faithful and true. Even when we don't understand it, he is faithful and true. And he keeps his word and his promises. Let's think about a few things to wrap up. Keep my hand away from that. A 24-hour battle rages for our attention. Did you know that? Even this morning, you could be thinking about your Christmas list, your Christmas activities, your whatever. And the war is raging. Don't listen to that. Don't, don't waste your time. Don't this, don't that. Trying to get your attention off the good news of great joy. Because the enemy is ruthless. He has nothing to lose because he has lost everything. So he's got nothing to lose. He will come at you and I with everything he's got to tear us away from the good news, a great joy. The world dilutes the meaning of Christmas worse and worse every year and offers substitutes and confusion. Happy holidays! Season's greetings! But it's Merry Christmas. To dig our heels into the ground. Plant ourselves firmly and in a loving, joyful way. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I challenge you to do that this week. Just every opportunity you get when you go to the cashier or whatever and then listen. You'll get sometimes an enthusiastic Merry Christmas to you too. Or you'll get thank you. Or you'll get ignored. Or you'll get a response of yes, season's greetings or happy holidays. Try it. Listen. Then pray for the person. So how do we counteract these things? Well, first of all, God provides true, accessible, and living meaning in His Word. You counteract it by constantly being in this, familiarizing yourself, rereading things, asking God to lead you to passages to help you, all kinds of stuff. Because the truth is in there. Because we need to understand, accept, and proclaim the good news of great joy. Because there's no other path. There's no other way to go. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. My dad had a, uh, spent a day in the hospital this week. And uh, you know hospitals, right? It's a maze. It's just a maze. And I thought it was neat, and I was hoping somebody would maybe ask, um, can I help you find the way? Because I, I, 
kept going this one way, and I got up to where I needed to. And I noticed when I came down and came around the elevator, got to this hallway, I'm looking like, all right, which way? And there's a big old picture mosaic something of Jesus at the end of the hallway. I thought, oh, isn't that a neat thing? Isn't that a neat thing? Someone says, can you find your way? Yes, as long as I can find Jesus, I'll go where he is. Amen? Isn't that neat? Just look for Jesus and go where he is. The season of Christmas is arguably the most beautiful time of year. Decorations and music are seen and heard at no other time. There really is at Christmas, like no other time, a genuine spirit of warmth and love. They just don't understand what it is so often of the time. But without Jesus Christ at the center of all this beauty and joy, we wind up like Charlie Brown by the end of the day, depressed and empty. Don't they call it the Christmas blues or something? Not the phrase they've coined. If we cut out, remove, legislate away, or ignore the true meaning of Christmas and whose birthday it has been centuries past to celebrate, we eliminate the reason to truly celebrate. Now, I told you last week that this was done in 2008, and so I had some of these obsolete things. Here's one of them, and I just really laughed when I first read it. The comment is made by one of the shining stars, 2008, one of the shining stars in this world, then Donald Trump, now president. How dreary the world would be without Santa Claus. Now, I hope and pray, because I hear all kinds of things that Franklin Graham and others are getting in to talk to him and hoping and praying that he is accepting the good news of Jesus. And we need to pray for that. But the truth is, there is no world, no universe, no salvation, no joy, no Christmas, no nothing without Jesus Christ, the gracious gift of a Father's unfailing love. There is no substitute whatsoever. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.